Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 10th podcast of The Traveling Principle. Double digits, big things. I am Joe Colossi. I run a one-stop shop on all things education when it comes to fixing your school, working with your staff, and helping with policies and procedures in place to assist in every facet of a school's functioning system. You can find more about me and what I offer at www.thetravelingprincipal.com. I also host this year wonderful podcast on all things education. Um, so thanks for listening. Special thanks to my international listeners out there. I give a shout out to my European friends who are hopefully benefiting from what they're hearing on my podcast. And I appreciate your questions. They are complex and I do like it. So thanks so much for tuning in. This podcast is about one of your questions emailed to the traveling principal at gmail.com. And it is, how do I use the evaluation process to enhance learning and not seem so evaluative? So I get it. That's a powerful question. Using the evaluation process to enhance learning and not seem so evaluative. Um, one in which in order to answer clearly, I'm going to have to use myself as an example. My first administrator while I was a teacher was nuts. She hated me for some reason, and I think I knew what it was, but not until I left did I see what she was doing. She wanted to push us and see if we would break. She was hard-nosed and traditional. I was funny, and I knew a newer way that I felt worked better. Um, she wanted 90 lesson plans before the semester began, I planned as I went about three weeks ahead, but really no more than that. She wanted it done her way and was really harsh when you didn't follow her lead. She was right, though, in so many ways. She was not out of line in her knowledge, but her approach and delivery of said information was abusive. Um, not borderline inappropriate, totally inappropriate. Um, now we were in the Bronx in New York, perhaps there's a layer of that there that, um, is underlying as to why people treat each other the way that they did. Um, but that said, um, she called one of my lesson plans and I quote, stupid, stupid, stupid. Uh, I got it from another teacher in the department, um, who she absolutely loved. So like I, I borrowed the idea for the plan. Um, that person knew I'd be like totally screwed. Uh, and the going joke was about how long I'd last as the new guy in the department. Little did those cats know. Um, <clears throat> but I got this lesson from somebody else that she loved. And I, I know that she, she knew that lesson, but it's been a while. And so now all of a sudden here I am with it and, and it gets ripped apart. Regardless, and to my point, folks, um, seeing what I taught two days before I taught it put me at a disadvantage at the start in the formal observation process, right? What accuracy would come of teaching a lesson we practically then write together? Did my lesson plan um, or, or planning rather change due to the pre-observation conference? Never. Then I thought... Um, you know, I would teach something she already saw. 
I would get feedback that wasn't really useful. And that was that. This never really led to anything but being over. And you know, additionally, I don't even know how I was evaluated overall as a teacher before I became an administrator. I don't think besides the observations, I don't think anyone ever told me anything um, that would enhance my, my teaching and delivery until I met Paul Munsinger. That man was a leader. That man had vision. He created the first small learning community inside of Christopher Columbus High School and was a pioneer in his ability to have vision. Yet most importantly, he could carry out his plans to achieve what it was he wanted to do. I learned quickly that what he was trying to do was know kids on a holistic level and then teach them accordingly, playing to everything down to what's happening at home. He fostered positive reinforcement at a time when no one was. Uh, he even had daily collaboration where we met in teacher teams. It wasn't even called collaboration in 2001. It was just called like a meeting, you know, still. <clears throat> Perhaps we may have Xerox copies of an agenda that had like that bluish tint, you know, hence proof that this man was a pioneer. I remember he wanted to review my teaching and did it from a lens of a teacher. He just popped in one day, sat down in the back, and began writing stuff down. Afterwards, he gave me some praise, but also advice. It was awesome. He didn't yell nor berate. He was funny. He was himself. I learned more from his advice in a meeting right after on the same day. And I was able to implement what he said. And he was correct. My AP of the English department became even more upset that I was seeking assistance from someone else, and she really didn't have much of a say over me as time passed because Paul did, thankfully, right? But it wasn't his approach so much as it was what he said. He spoke about my presence in the room. He spoke about my daily habits of going through the motions of my lesson plan and suggested I try to create bell-to-bell -bell structure. He got into how I questioned students and said I was ping-ponging conversations in the class. Ping-pong. He explained that his head went back and forth like watching a ping-pong match and said it should be more like volleyball instead. Bump it to someone, then set someone else, and then try to spike it back. If I'm asking questions that just get thrown right back at me fast and then more questions follow, I'm not digging deep enough <clears throat> In the way that I should, I'm just skimming surfaces. One or two high-level thought-provoking questions, he would say, would lead to greater learning than five or seven low-level questions that have quick one-word answers and are definitive in nature. I thought about it when I got home that night, questioning, right? What kind of questions do I ask? I reviewed my lesson plans and went through my binders. I was mostly low-tiered questions on Bloom's scale. And my kids were understanding what they read for sure, but did they understand why they were reading it? 
Did they comprehend the context in a real-world applicable manner? How what we covered in class has impacted how we live our lives today. <clears throat> I must admit, I searched Bloom's taxonomy in the library the next day to figure out what the heck was going on here. This was like at the cusp of using search engines like Excite and Yahoo. So the outcomes were there, but still kind of vague online. This led me to diving deep into how I was asking questions, how I was interpreting content, and what my overall goal of teaching my students was. I also appreciated how I didn't feel like I could get fired from Paul's results. I always felt like my AP was going to fire me. If it was up to her, she would have, I'm certain. But it wasn't up to her. I always produced. <clears throat> she would fill my head with doubt in her evaluations, and it sucked. I only grew from what Paul said. And the rest of my teachers and colleagues, what, what they said to me as well, these were good people. These were workers. These were fighters, not quitters, real educators, well, m most of them. But that's how I grew from my colleagues. So when I got my first admin gig, I kept every uncomfortable feeling I could remember at the forefront of how I met with my own staff, observed my own staff, and worked with them afterwards. <clears throat> I was the opposite, really. I tried to be Paul, right? I remembered even using some of his slogans that he was notorious for, and they made everyone smile instantly. So tip number one, the evaluation process is for the purpose of supporting and enhancing instruction and delivery. Praise is given and best practices should be shared without question. However, it's the criticism that's given in the pre-observation conference as well that is crucial to a productive outcome. For example, if Paul told me that I asked a ton of questions and therefore kept the students on their toes, he'd be correct. If Paul told me that I need to increase the rigor of my teaching and left that as his criticism, what good would that do to me? If he rated me poorly on a rigor aspect on a rubric but didn't follow it with any kind of advice or possible steps, what good is that? Even when I rated someone poorly, it was with a contingent plan to throw it out. <clears throat> if brainstorm steps to obtain goals based on originally observed findings show successes in a second observation, okay? So because I ask you, who wins in that situation? Let me say it again. Even when I'm rating somebody poorly, I have this like, all right, look, if you want to try a second time, let's come up with what we thought here we need to work on, develop some goals there based on what I saw, agree upon how we can get there. I'll help you even try it and let's go in and do it again, right? Now the question remains, who wins in this situation? The teacher does because they don't get rated poorly. They improve instruction and perhaps further enjoy their profession. Their kids do because the quality of instruction improves, right? And I do because my teacher is better. Their kids are learning more 
And I now have a better relationship with that person because my best interests are evident with a move like that. You have to ask yourself, what is the purpose of my observation? Why am I going into this room? What have I communicated with this teacher with regards to their goals of this observation? What are their strengths and weaknesses? Should I go in prior to, unannounced, and see what my generated goals could be? What are their statistics? What is their inquiry like? What are their planning and their, their lesson plans like? When working with instruction, it's important to keep at the forefront of decisions what your goals are. This is where things like standards come into play, right? I'm also thinking of doing a piece on Common Core because if you know what it is and how it was created and if it was explained and all were professionally developed accordingly, the outcome would be different for everyone. That said, if you have an area from the aforementioned areas such as questioning, planning, goals, or delivery, now my role of an observing administrator must make a decision to define what my observation now means. Once you go in and make a deal with someone, then go into someone else and toy around with nailing them, your observation now holds little to no consistency and therefore any intent in truly enhancing the teaching and learning will most likely be forced. Forced, folks, never lasts. Buy-in, intrinsic purpose, real, obtainable growth making someone into a professional, that sticks, right? I've seen some terrible lessons. Those that I've rated unsatisfactory came with a plan for that person. We saw what instruction was like in that room, came up with what we wanted it to look like instead, and figured out together how to get there. My purpose was to improve instruction. If there was no improvement, this warrants a different response, okay? Now, in an evaluation plan that I've created with an awesome team of two teachers who at the time were social science teachers, so they brought an element of government to the table that I liked because I lack that polished side of things in most occasions, right? They, however, were natural educators, had vision, knew of the other comprehensive sites in the environment, and together we worked on what we wanted our evaluation plan to look like. We included inquiry. We included meetings on goals. We included observations. We included student surveys. We included professional ob obligations. Uh, and this was based on a point scale. It was tallied. It was clear. It was guided um, into a decision for track placement within the school step and salary scale. My staff knows when we come into their classroom, it's to observe instruction. It's super tough though, let me admit this, it's super tough to find things that veteran teachers do wrong or could do better at. So instead of seeing their lesson plan and going over how to do it and little things like that with these cats, differentiate it, dude. Ask them what they think based on their annual goals that they want to work on as a teacher. 
based on that answer, develop a lens that you would want to look through in that observation. Make that clear between the two of you and go in and do it. Your feedback will revolve directly around the teacher-driven goals, and this is tied to the evaluation. It seems evaluative because it's tied to a pay scale ultimately. So back to the aim of my podcast here, how to make it so not evaluative seeming is by showing a teacher that if you see something you think should be worked on, work with that teacher in doing so. If they give you something they want to work on, work on it with them. Ultimately, if you rate them unsatisfactory after a few go-arounds, then you as an administrator need to also reconsider maybe your impact. Shop them out to some PDs and ask for outside help. Pair them with some good teachers. Have them observe other teachers. Run the gamut, man. You work with that person after determining the core of the issue and still no results, maybe the process is working after all. Does that make sense? Right? My school leaves employees still at will. If a teacher is in an initial track when they uh, start a job, they are subject to this evaluation policy. However, we also discuss with our own school board outcomes of teacher evaluations and a final say is determined considering all factors, including parent feedback and teacher fit, which means how well they work with the staff and the students. And certification status is always a factor as well in these early cases. So we are looking to show annual staff progress in that report with the board. That's a reflection of me, the leader, 100% right? So when considering teacher observations and performance evaluations, they are to lead to progress. When they do, kids learn more. When kids are learning more, everyone's happy, man. Everyone, right? If your staff is afraid of you when you walk in the room, either you created that or it's the last person's mess for you to clean up. Nonetheless, get in there and make it right. Don't rule with fear. You don't want your teachers to teach that way. Don't lead that way. Ladies and gentlemen, if you take a look at just this last example here, which is going to revolve around going in and working with a teacher, seeing a lesson that was so far off the wall, I couldn't identify enough time within that lesson plan while I was sitting there in that observation to write down everything I needed to write down. And so when I sat with that teacher and I realized there were so many places I needed to start, I listed mine out, sat with them, asked them what they thought, and when they openly admitted that they thought the lesson did not go well at all and they wanted some help, I knew right then and there the purpose of the evaluation system that I had in place was going to be productive, right? This teacher was not resistant. 
They did not disagree with me at all, right? That's not to say I haven't had to prove this, right? Because I also have gone into a classroom where a teacher said to me, I've been doing this longer than you've been alive. And they were correct. <laughs> and so they followed that up with, what is it that you're possibly going to tell me that's going to make my lesson any better? And so my challenge to this person was, why don't you give me a chance to redo what we got going on the way I think it should be done. I'll go over it with you in a pre-conference. You teach it and then tell me what you think. If what my changes were don't make any sense to you and don't make you a better teacher and your students better learners because of it, I'll stay out. And so I had to really hit the drawing board, try to figure out what it was that the guy was making because this was a culinary situation um, and not having an educated background like this person did. I was already at a disadvantage, but teaching is teaching and learning is learning, right? And so I figured out how to learn the curriculum and then I figured out how to, to put it into this lesson plan format that I know works well. Based on that, I sat with the teacher showed him what I wanted to do in a pre-observation conference. He then retaught the lesson, starting out by saying to the kids, Klossy here wants me to teach this lesson this way, so I'm going to try it. So even though you've already done this before, just see if you can pay attention. We'll do it again. I, You know, it was a pretty rocky start, but then the kids got it. And then the teacher realized that he didn't have to work as hard as he was when he was going through his original lesson plan format because he was bouncing from kid to kid, he was going over, he was repeating himself constantly. The lesson plan itself was so lax, right? When he finished, came over and he was like, okay, I get your point. Everything worked out really well. How was my teaching? And I said, dude, your teaching was perfect. It wasn't your teaching that was the problem. It was the actual plan itself that we just needed to adjust so you could be a more effective teacher, rather. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a message that needs to be sent, and it has to be sincere, right? So that is my final tip to you. You must be sincere if you're an administrator. You must understand that the purpose of an evaluation is to create data, and then, therefore, what you do with that data which is really establish goals with that teacher after you review it with that person, you figure out a plan to move forward to improve instruction, right? That's, that's what your purpose behind an evaluation is. So if everybody is improving or if you have to run the gamut and trying to figure out how to, to, to guide the improvement of, of instruction, whether it's shopping it out, whether it's pairing them with other people, going and seeing other, other teachers teach, I mean, you can get so creative, um, you know, really don't stop trying when it, when it comes to making sure that, you know, your focus of your evaluation is on improving instruction. So, so ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to my podcast. Please like and subscribe as I'm on Spotify now too, as per a brilliant recommendation from my creative director. And you can find me also on Apple Music or on my website, www.thetravelingprincipal.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. My name is Joe Clossy, and I am your traveling principal here signing off. 
saying, I hope you have enjoyed this episode by request. And if you want me to discuss something, hit me up on email at thetravelingprinciple at gmail.com. Kids, thanks again. Have a good one, folks.